Clap your hands unto the Lord. Make a joyful noise, all you people. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Amen. I'd like to direct your attention to the book of Zephaniah, chapter 1. Zephaniah, chapter 1, and verse number 4. And we'll read three scriptures together. I'd like to say as you're turning there that if you missed Brother Raymond Pope's testimony this morning during the 10 o'clock adult Sunday school class, you really missed a powerful word and testimony. And you really should uh, find Brother Sam Pinder up there in the sound room and uh, ask him if you can get a CD of that because... Uh, it was truly tremendous, and Brother Pope, I appreciate you doing that this morning. It was a blessing, blessed my soul, and encouraged me, and uh, I really loved that. Zephaniah chapter 1, an unfamiliar passage, perhaps a book that you're not even all that familiar with, and because of that, we'll have to lay some framework tonight, and uh, I intend to preach this the way the Lord laid it on my heart, and uh, this is not a particularly easy sermon to preach, and so I need you to preach with me. Will you do that? We're going to lay some groundwork, and uh, we're going to move at the pace that the Lord wills, and uh, as I was praying about it this afternoon, I I knew in my spirit that there would be people who would greatly dislike this message and I knew that there would be people that would really appreciate this message and they would be in a man corner but I want you to know that I'm not preaching this to step on anyone's toes and I'm also not preaching it for anyone's approval I'm preaching it because it's the word of the Lord and so I have to be obedient to what God has laid on my heart Zephaniah 1 and 4, do you have that? Everyone said amen. I will also stretch out my hand. This is God speaking through the prophet Zephaniah, speaking of judgment. I will stretch out my hand in judgment upon Judah and upon all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And I will cut off the remnant of Baal from this place. 
and the name of the Kimarams with the priests and them that worship the hosts of heaven upon the housetops. And pay close attention here. And them that worship and that swear by the Lord and that swear by Malcolm and them that are turned back from the Lord and those that have not sought the Lord nor inquired for him. Hold thy peace at the presence of the Lord God. For the day of the Lord is at hand. For the Lord hath prepared a sacrifice. He hath bid his guests. And I'm preaching tonight from this question. Is Malcolm your master? Is Malcolm your master? Could you put your Bibles down and lift up your hands? And if we've ever needed to pray before a message, we need to pray tonight. Could we do that? Lord, in your name. I know there's a remnant here tonight, and I pray that your Holy Spirit would permeate this atmosphere. We cannot preach this kind of sermon without your help, God. And I covet your touch. I covet your anointing. I'm thankful for every worshiper that's here tonight. We give you praise, Lord. And everyone said in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Thank you for standing out of respect for the word. You can be seated. The book of Zephaniah is probably best known for being the least known book of the Bible. The prophet Zephaniah was the great, great grandson of King Hezekiah, and he ministered in Judah during the reign of King Josiah. The great prophet Jeremiah and Zephaniah had overlapping ministries. They preached the same message to the same people at the same time. And these were dark days for the broken and fractured nation of Judah. The Israelites, as you know, were a special people chosen and set apart and sanctified by God. God blessed them and protected them and delivered them time and time again. And yet they were constantly backsliding, constantly turning their back on God, enticed by idol worship and paganism. Even while Moses was coming down from the mountain, glowing with the Shekinah glory of God, holding the Ten Commandments that were written by the finger of God on stone tablets, even while he was coming down from that sacred encounter with God, with a commandment that said, Thou shalt have no other gods before me, the people were worshiping a golden calf or a young bull that they had made with gold. The Bible says that they melted down their golden earrings and their golden bracelets to build this pagan idol. Now listen to me. You can turn jewelry into an idol very quickly. The golden cow and the jewelry were both Egyptian influences that had crept back into their worship. Remember, when God delivered them from Egypt, they took the spoils from the Egyptian people. God said, I want you to go ahead and go into their houses, and I want you to take from the Egyptians as you leave treasures and spoils to take with you into the wilderness to carry with you as a blessing into the promised land. God never intended for them to wear the customs of Egypt. 
But somewhere as they wandered in the wilderness, they began to covet the lifestyle of the very people who had persecuted them for decades. They took the gold and the silver and all of the valuables that God intended for them to carry into the promised land. And they took it and they melted it down and created an idol of false worship. God did not deliver them from Egypt so that they could be like Egypt. He called them to be holy and separated. So it was fitting that they would take the Egyptian idols that they had been wearing all of this time and turn it into a pagan idol of worship. This was the first time in Scripture that idolatry crept into the hearts of God's people. And from that moment on, it happened over and over and over again. It became such a problem that when they were about to enter the promised land, Joshua was forced to stand up as a young man and say, Now therefore fear the Lord and serve Him in sincerity and in truth and put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the flood and in Egypt and serve ye the Lord. And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom ye will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood or the gods of the Amorites in whose land ye now dwell. But as for me and my house, we've already made up our minds. We don't have to call a committee. We don't have to get the board together. We don't have to take a poll and figure out what the right thing to do is. We've made up our mind. We're going to serve the Lord. We're going to serve Jehovah Jireh. We're going to serve the one true living God. Ha-ha. And with that great sermon, the people laid aside their idols and they laid aside their paganism and all of the things that had crept into their worship and all of the things that had slithered into their lives and they made a decision. And there comes a point in everyone's life where you have to make a decision. Who are you going to serve? Who is going to be your master? Who is going to be the Lord of your life? Because Jesus demands more than just being your savior. If you want Jesus to be your savior, he must also be your master, your Lord and your savior. And so they laid aside their gods. And they served the one true God. And God blessed them and he gave them the land of promise. If you will put God first, he will always put you first. But from that moment on, the entire Old Testament is the story of backsliding and revival. Idolatry and repentance. Judgment and mercy. Wicked kings and good kings. Righteousness and unrighteousness within the hearts of God's own people. I'm not talking about pagan nations. I'm not talking about sinners who are without God. I'm not talking about people who had never heard of God. I am talking about God's chosen separated people who constantly embraced idolatry and turned their back on God. Solomon was the first who the first king of Israel. And he resorted in his 
elder years. Sometimes we put a lot of emphasis on the wrongdoing that young people have in their lives. But when an elder falls away from God, it does great damage to society. And Saul, in his elder years, turned his back on God and embraced witchcraft, something that would have seemed unthinkable and unfathomable in that day. King David saw the sin of Saul and he instigated a great revival, a great turning back towards God, a great time of worship for God's people. And even though he had failures and shortcomings, in the end he turned to God. Even in his weakness he repented and turned back to God. I'm preaching to people who are imperfect. This preacher is imperfect. You are going to fail. You're going to make mistakes. But I'm going to tell you, in the end, if you will turn back to God, he will always receive you. He will always meet you in your weakness. And he will lift you if you will reject idols and turn to God. Solomon, not only did he come after his father David, and he began as a good king, a wise king. And he began as a king who did great things for the nation of Israel. But as time went on, things crept into his heart. And he married pagan wives and allowed them to build places of worship for their pagan gods. In fact, he married an Egyptian princess. And the very nation that had been such a thorn in the side of God's people. He married into that nation and he allowed her to bring idolatry into the heart of God's promised nation. It was such a tragedy. It broke God's heart and it fractured the nation of Israel for hundreds and hundreds of years to follow. Listen to this preacher, sir. The decisions that you make do not just affect you. Your backsliding does not just affect you. It affects your children and your children's children and your great, great, great grandchildren. It impacts. It has a ripple effect that goes down through the decades. And people feel it sometimes hundreds of years later. That's crazy, preacher. I'm just telling you what history bears out time and time again in the word of God, that the mistakes and the failures and the idolatry of the fathers carries throughout time and touches people for ages to come. It was Solomon, the son of that great worshiper, King David, who first allowed, and he began by just allowing it to happen, but it didn't take long that he was not only allowing it to happen, but he was participating in it. You know, you can say that you're just going to wink at idolatry or turn your back on it or pretend like it's not happening, but if you blink at it long enough, there will come a point in time where you will have to make a decision. Am I just going to pretend like it's not happening or am I going to reject it completely or am I going to take part in it? And when it came down to it, Solomon decided that he was going to take part in the worship of Malcolm, sometimes referred to as Malik in the Bible. He was the heathen god of the Ammonites. Malcolm worship was so terrible, it's almost indescribable. In mixed company and with children here, 
I can only go so far in describing what it entailed. But Malcolm was the god of fire and fertility. His statue was terrifying to look at, having the head of a bull and the body of a man with arms outstretched to receive sacrifices of worship. They brought their own babies to Malcolm and sacrificed them in the furnace built inside of his belly. Sexual perversion and debauchery were also a part of this idol worship. And God's people, for some strange reason, were regularly drawn into these cultic religious practices. This idolatry was displayed in the way the people of Judah began to dress. God cares about how we dress. He cares about what we wear. The priests who were supposed to be spiritual leaders, began to wear the same clothing as the pagan religious leaders that worshipped Malcolm. And the people, seeing their example, began wearing indecent and provocative clothing that was associated with the worship of Malcolm. And so God became so frustrated with the backsliding of his people That he spoke through the prophet Zephaniah saying, And it shall come to pass in the day of the Lord's sacrifice and judgment. That I will punish the princes and the king's children. And all such as are clothed with strange apparel. He was talking about the pagan and sensual clothing associated with the worship of this heathen false god called Malcolm. Your clothing is a reflection of your God. Your clothing is an indication of who you are and who you're worshiping. It's an indication of who you are truly serving in your heart of hearts. God's word clearly calls his people to be modest, humble, clean, and holy in their appearance and dress. One of the first indications that Malcolm is your master is when you start wearing sexually provocative clothing. Immodesty was the trademark of paganism, and modesty has always been the trademark of God's chosen people. Now listen, you may not like this kind of preaching, But if you study the scripture, you will find that this is absolutely and unequivocally true. Not only was this true in the Old Testament, but it is affirmed and reaffirmed over and over again in the New Testament. God's people are clearly called to be distinct, modest, and separated in their outward appearance from the immoral fashions of the world. And by the way, the fashions of the world have become so immoral that we don't even know what is moral and immoral any longer. The baseline has moved so much from the 1940s and the 1950s. In the 60s, everything began to change. Really, it did in the 20s and 30s. And then there was a revival of modesty. And in the 60s, it just all went crazy for a little while. And now, nobody even knows. Ah. Ah. And that's why 
with all of this gender confusion, the importance of men dressing like men and women dressing like women has never been more necessary than right now. Generations of gender blurring have created a culture of extreme and narcissistic confusion. I don't blame these poor gender-confused children. I don't blame the 12-year-old and the 7-year-old and the 15-year-old. I blame the idolatrous spirit of Malcolm that our culture has been worshiping for several generations now. It's a spirit that sacrifices our children and calls it a woman's choice. It's a spirit that worships at the altar of sexuality, immorality, and exalts pagan fashion above the beauty of holiness. We call hedonism beautiful, but God calls it idolatry. And it's our children and our grandchildren who are paying the price. They're confused, and they don't know they're confused. They're deluded, and they don't know they're deluded. Some of you thought that idolatry was just an Old Testament problem, but the spirit of Malcolm is very much alive and well today. It's a promiscuous spirit. It's a bloody spirit. It's a gaudy spirit. It's a prideful spirit. It's a haughty spirit. It's a lustful spirit. It's a selfish spirit. It's a compromising spirit. And it sounds like I'm describing Hollywood right now, doesn't it? And it's an ancient spirit that has been rebranded and streamlined by hell for modern times and made to be enticing for me and for you today. But the church of the living God must be willing to recognize Malcolm for who he is. And we better be willing to reject the idol worship of Malcolm in these modern times and say, I will come out from among them and be separate. I will be chosen. I will be sanctified. I will be pure and holy. I will be blood bought. I will be sanctified. (laughs) The Bible says, be ye holy because he is holy. And so... We have the spirit of Malcolm permeating our culture. For example, homosexuality was regularly associated with the worship of Malcolm. It was a part of their feasts. And that spirit is intensifying to this day. If anyone doesn't recognize that the spirit of the age is being propelled by the spirit of homosexuality, then you have your head in the sand because it is a strong spirit that is taking over churches and taking over cities and taking over families and people don't know what is right and what is wrong and they're calling wrong right and they're calling right wrong and they're calling good evil and they're calling evil good because the spirit of the age and the spirit of the Antichrist is so strong and pervasive and deceptive and elusive. Confusion has taken over. But nearly 3,000. I want you to think about this for a moment. The word of God is the most relevant thing in your life. There is nothing more relevant to your modern life today in 2016. There is nothing 
more relevant than the word of God. And some of you thought it was the latest Vogue or the latest Cosmo or something like that. No, no, no. The most relevant thing in your life is the word of God. It's not what Tom Cruise is wearing. It's not what Brad Pitt is wearing. I don't care what anybody's doing. The word of God is the most relevant thing in our world today. And 3,000 years ago, God spoke to the prophet Zephaniah and said, warn young King Josiah. Remember, he was just a little boy when he became king of Judah. He said, tell him that unless he rids the nation of idolatry, judgment is coming. And I feel a, a, a warning in the Holy Ghost to pause and talk to a young person. I know you think that everyone feel, is against you and you feel like sometimes elders are looking down on you. I understand that. I was young once. But let me just tell you, it was Josiah who instigated a great revival in the land of Judah. His father was a wicked and perverted king who led the people into awful, awful judgment. But Josiah, as a young boy, said, I'm going to repent of my sin, and I'm going to lead this nation back to God. I don't care if you're 3, 4, 5, 7, 8, 16, 19, 21, or 30. You can be instrumental in last day revival. Don't let anybody tell you that you can't live holy. Don't let anybody tell you you can't turn your world upside down. Don't let anybody tell you you can't change your high school. Don't let anybody tell you you can't change your college campus. Don't let anybody tell you you can't change your family. You can change the course of your life. You can change the course of your future. I don't care what mama did or daddy did. You can make a difference. I wish an elder would shout amen. I wish an elder would testify with me that we have not given up on this youth generation. We have not given up on millennials. We have not given up on our children. We have not given up on our grandchildren. God is going to use some young people to change the world and turn their hearts back towards righteousness. Oh, I feel like there's a young Josiah here tonight that God is anointing, that God is appointing, that God is calling into the work of the kingdom. Woo! I feel the spirit of David in the house that says, I don't care what Saul did. I don't care if Saul is out doing seances and playing with Ouija boards and talking to witches in the middle of the night and putting on disguises and pretending like he's something he's not. I don't care what Saul's doing. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Listen to me, millennial. I know that a lot of elders have let you down, and you've seen a lot of people backslide and turn their hearts towards wickedness. I don't care what they did. It doesn't matter what they did. It's all about what you're going to do. Who is your master? They made their decision, and they'll have to answer to God. But what about you, honey? But what about you, sir? You will stand before God on judgment day. Let Saul worry about Saul and let David worry about David. Can't tell you how many people I've counseled who said, but preacher, what about all the hypocrites? What about them? 
There's always been hypocrites. Since the age of time, since the dawning of a new day, there has always been hypocrites and failures and perverted people who turned their back on God and let society down. You got to stop looking at them, honey, and get your eyes fixed on Jesus. Get your eyes fixed on Jesus. Look full in his glorious face. And the things of this world will grow strangely dim when you stop looking at everybody else's failure. You start looking at Jesus. <laughs> it's never been about people. It's never been about kings. It's never been about prophets. It's never been about potentates. It's always been about Jesus. It's always, always been about Jesus. And so, God spoke to Josiah and said, There must be a revival of righteousness. Or my judgment will fill the land. Most of the people of Judah had convinced themselves that God was unconcerned with their sin. And by the way, that's where most of mainstream Christianity is today. They've convinced themselves that God is completely unconcerned with their sin. They've twisted grace to mean all kinds of things that it was never intended to mean. But God's mercy was not to be confused with tolerance. Many people today confuse God's mercy for tolerance or even acceptance. Just because God is long-suffering does not mean that He is not grieved. But a day of reckoning will always come unless we repent. In the first chapter of Zephaniah, God lists several categories of people who were in severe danger of judgment. Those who were completely given over to idolatry. They had just completely given their lives over to idol worship. Those who had turned away from the faith of their fathers and accepted the faith of another. Those who dressed like heathens rather than walk in holiness and righteousness. Those who ignore God's warnings. Leaders who have abused spiritual authority. Those who believed that God was indifferent to their sin. And those who were putting their trust and their faith in anything other than God. But there was one last category that I want us to consider in closing as the musicians come. There was a large group of people who wanted, now listen, they wanted to worship God, but they also wanted to worship Malcolm at the same time. They thought that they could mix holiness and worldliness together and still be pleasing to God. But God said, if they do not repent, and turn fully to me and walk in holiness and righteousness. I will utterly destroy them. You see, when you try to mix holiness with worldliness, all you have left is worldliness. God will not share his glory 
or accept a blended form of worship. Anything that we place above God, look at your neighbor and say anything. Anything that we place above God is an idol. And God says that every idol must be completely and utterly destroyed. Elijah said it this way on Mount Carmel. He said, how long halt ye between two opinions? If the Lord be God, follow him. But if fail, be God, then follow him. Jesus said it this way in the New Testament. No man can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other. Or he will hold to the one and despise the other. James said this, know ye not that friendship with the world is enmity with God. Whoever is a friend of the world is an enemy of God. John the beloved summed it up this way. He was a little more poetic than James. James was a little more outspoken and harsh. But John said it a little nicer, a little kinder. He said, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world is the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes. He's describing the spirit of Malcolm, the pride of life. And none of it is of the Father, but it's of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Do you know what he was talking about? He was talking about heaven. You can't make it to heaven and love the world at the same time. I'm not talking about loving people. We love people. But if you love the wickedness of this world, the carnality of this world, the love of the Father, It's not in you. Stand with me. We have to ask ourselves an important question tonight because I think that the spirit of the age is the spirit that Zephaniah was speaking to. I think it permeates our churches. God forbid it does our church, but I'm wise enough to know that there's an element of it in our own church. I think there's an element of it in every church around America today of people who have convinced themselves That they can love God and love the world at the same time. I can worship Malcolm on Monday and I can come and worship Jesus on Wednesday. I can go out and serve Malcolm on Friday night. and I can come on Sunday morning and worship Jesus. And God doesn't care. I can have two masters and I can love them both the same and everything will be fine. You think you can divide your loyalty between the two and dress one way on Sunday and another way on Monday. And God is speaking to your heart tonight. And he's telling you that that is the spirit of idolatry. It's the spirit of Malcolm worship. And every child of God has to ask themselves over and over again. This isn't a one-time question. I don't care if you've been serving God a thousand and one years. I don't care if you think you're the most holy person that ever lived. And by the way, if you think that, it means that you are not holy at all. 
I don't care how long you've been serving God. Every once in a while, you have to get down on your knees in an altar and ask yourself, is Jesus my master or is Malcolm my master? What spirit am I worshiping? What is it that I love? What is it that I care about? What is it that I dream about? You know, a dream is a manifestation of your subconscious. It's what you've been putting in your spirit and thinking about all day long, even though you don't realize it. And so if you're dreaming about immorality and wickedness and perversion, if you catch yourself daydreaming about wickedness, you better stop yourself and say, who am I serving? Who do I love? Where do my affections lie? Because God will not share his glory with an idol. He never has. And he never will. I know this has been an unusual message. And some of you, I can feel the resistance. But I think that what we need to do as a spiritual people is come and humble ourselves in this altar. We're about to have a baptism. But I feel like I've been in the Holy Ghost tonight. We need to come. We need to come right now. We need to get down on our knees. And we need to ask the Lord. Who am I really serving tonight? Am I trying to divide my loyalty? Am I, am I trying to serve you in the world? Am I letting things creep in? Am I allowing things into my life that I know are wrong? What am I looking at? What am I thinking about? What am I talking about? Do I have lust in my heart? Do I have pride in my heart? Do I have anger? Do I have bitterness? Do I have carnality? Do I want to look like the world, walk like the world, talk like the world, dress like the world? Or do I want to be like Jesus? Who do I want to be like? This might be the most important question you ever ask yourself. Who am I serving tonight? Who's my master?